Welcome to Be The Light Podcast with C.B. Barthlow, lead pastor of Denver Beacon. I am your host, Pastor Ty Morris. Our desire is to lead the lost, the broken, and the hopelessness of our communities, to be light bearers in our city set on a hill. Now tune in for our sermon series. Do you have your Bible? Say yeah. yeah. If you have a paper Bible, say I'm going to heaven. Just That's how you do it too. That's how you say it. If your phone Bible you can come in my car. Amen. You can just jump in with me. Uh, If you have your Bibles, open it up to Galatians chapter three. We're going to continue our series in our study in the book of Galatians, a series we've been entitled uh, Maturing Faith. And today we're going to pick up in chapter three, verses 15 through 29, a good chunk of text that actually is a little bit longer than what we usually teach from. But I think that this whole chunk of text actually ties a lot of things together. Galatians three, verses 15 through 29. If you're new to this church, you'll understand that as a church, we teach through books line by line. If you're new to this church, you'll understand we're an expository teaching. We teach what it says. We don't add to it. We don't subtract to it. We, we, we don't cherry pick verses that we like and omit the ones we don't. We come under the word of the Lord. Amen. So when it says a thing, that's the thing. And there's no debate. We submit to the word of the Lord because it's perfect. It's true. It's clean. It's right. It's holy. And it is to be desired more than anything else. And as a result, as we walk through the text line by line, we're challenged each and every day to submit to God's will, God's way. Galatians 3. And 15, it reads like like this. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. Paul writes, now notice it does not say to offsprings, plural, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. That is what I mean The law, which came 430 years afterward, he's talking about after the promise to Abraham, it does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make that previous promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. You have to hear that again. God gave the inheritance to Abraham by a promise. So Paul asks in verse 19, why then the law? Well, it was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through the angels by an intermediary. Verse 20, now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. We'll talk about that. Very confusing. Verse 21, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would be indeed by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Verse 23. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God through faith. 
For as many of you were baptized into Christ have now put on Christ, and there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you're Christ's, then you're Abraham's offspring, and you are heirs to the promise. The title of our message today is A Promise We Can Count On. And I'm, I'm praying that today's message will be one that encourages you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this text. We ask that you'd open it up for us, that you'd open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our mind to behold, and our hearts to embrace. God, remove me from this and have your way in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Our big idea today, if you have your notebook with you, if you're studying through Galatians with us in your small group, you'll see it right there on the front of that page for this lesson. But if you don't, the big idea, the one takeaway I want you to have, no matter what, if you fall asleep for the rest of the message, amen, get this one in your belly. God is a promise maker. Say it with me. God is a promise maker. Amen. And he always fulfills what he says. And I think that's important. That might sound like faith 101, but you need to know that God by his nature makes promises and by his nature never breaks promises. And that's important to know because many of us have walked of faith or heard of faith, been confronted by people with no faith who will always try to break that notion through the ways in which they critique the character of God. If God's good, then why does this happen? If your God is so sovereign, if God is real, all of these questions are brought up to question the character of God. And you need to be able to know without the shadow of a doubt that our God by his nature is a promise maker and a promise keeper. What I love about this passage and the reason that we selected this because it's, it's so thick is because I think after the last several weeks, this will tie everything together. As a church, every spring we study one of the epistles from Paul. And this one, Galatians, is, is the, one of the most doctrinal heavy books. And, and I don't know if you've been coming the last three or four weeks, but has it felt like I've just been preaching the same thing? Like law, grace, law, grace. I see some of you, you're like, seriously, we're done with this already. Let's go. <laughs> but every time we've studied this, there's a nuance in the understanding of the law versus the grace conversation. There's an understanding of the importance of scripture, an understanding of the importance of the Old Testament covenant so that we can get the value and importance of the New Testament, the new covenant, the new release, freedom, and promise that we find in Christ Jesus. Amen. And there's nuance here. But today we're going to tie it all up into a nice bow and then transition next week to chapter four. And here's why I think this ties it all together is because this passage helps us to understand that the promises of God made to the people in antiquity, the Old Testament promises, they were, they were made by God and given to a people to elicit faith. Hear me. When God speaks impossible things to Adam, to Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and the others, he's speaking impossible things that it might stir them up to think beyond what's merely possible with their own human hands and start thinking about who God is and what they can do with God. Amen? That's the whole point, is that God would come in and begin to speak things, to confront things, to change things in the heart's 
of men. And those promises are given to elicit faith, but when we read the New Testament, we find a bunch of promises are fulfilled, not by faith, but by grace. See, when Jesus comes, he's the one, and we're going to talk about this in greater detail, who walks out and then realizes, allows you and I to realize and come under the fulfillment of these prophecies and promises. And it's by God's great grace that we give Jesus. And so here we are, Old Testament, promises made to people to grab them and elicit faith from them. And then there's Jesus in the New Testament who fulfills faith, not promises, not so that it would create faith, but it would demonstrate God's grace. Are you with me on this? The promises are here. This is impossible. Trust me. I told you so. Trust me. Are y'all with me? Hey, let me do it again because I don't, want you, I don't want you to miss it. God says, this is the standard. You can't do it. Trust me. And then Jesus comes and he says, uh, I'm the standard. I did it. Trust me. See the difference? Now, if you're thinking what I'm thinking, which is like, and what of the space between? What of the difference between the promise spoken and the promise kept? And that's why we have this conversation today. Because for about six weeks, we've been talking about the law and understanding the law and the standard and the scripture and the commandments and how we, we're supposed to ascribe to it, but not aspire to it. How we're supposed to follow it, but not try to earn it. How we're supposed to know that it's true, but not let it be that one thing that govern us. And today's conversation is all about why the law exists. And the reason is this, it holds the tension of the two together. The law was given to bring the faith and the grace together. Let me show you this real quick. I want you to stick with me, all right? Verse 15, Paul is writing to the church and he says, look, and this is what I love about the apostle Paul, because I think he also senses that the same church that's reading this letter is glazing over as well, right? He's been talking about law. He's been talking about grace. He's been talking about the difference. And I have a sense that he's just like, I know you're not paying attention, are you? He's thinking about the pastor who's reading this text and looking at a church who's just like, oh, wow, this is hard. And so Paul does this little brain break in verse 15. And he says, all right, stop for a second. Think about a contract. He says, brothers, consider this. Let me give you a human example. A man-made covenant once ratified, cannot be changed. Amen? And everybody in the room is like, yes, okay, amen, not changed. And he says, okay, good. Then you need to understand that when God made a promise, it's even greater than a man-made promise. So if Pastor Ty and I sign a contract that he's gonna be the pastor of worship and creative arts here at our church. Once it's signed, Pastor Ty can't sneak in like a provision for gold jackets as a part of his conversation. It's already ratified. Am I right? Don't worry. It's already in the contract. We're good. We're good. We're good. He can't change it once it's been agreed upon. Amen? And that's just a man-made contract. But God is talking to a man and making a covenant or a contract with him. 
And if a man-to-man, man-made contract can't be ratified after it's agreed upon, what would make any of us think that the covenant made to Abraham by God himself could be changed after the fact? That's what he's trying to say. And so the whole picture here is to say, we've been talking about law, but for a moment, let's look over the law to the conversation that was originally made to Abraham, the promise that was meant to elicit faith. And here's what he's saying. God is a promise maker. He loves to make promises. In fact, God can't not make promises. Here's what you should understand about the nature of God. God is not a man that he should lie. God is sovereign, omnipotent, omniscient. He's everywhere at all times. He's all powerful. He holds the world in his hand. He created the universe by the utterance of his voice. He is all in all. Amen. So if he says anything, that thing becomes true. You tracking? So if he says, I used to do this with my kids when they were little, if God were to say elephants are purple, in an instant, all elephants forever would have been, will be, and are purple. Amen? You with me? Simple example, except for you should see it when you say it to a seven-year-old. They're like, what are we talking about here? Are you kidding me? Purple? No. Yeah, he could say whatever he wants. He could be pink. The little one was like, that's impossible, dad. Here's the deal. When God speaks, it's true immediately. There is no negotiation with God. Do you know in the normal conversations that you have with friends, people in your life, sometimes the things they say are not true? Did you know that? Did you know that sometimes they're well-meaning, but not based in fact? A lot of the times, the conversation that you have is built on innuendo, hearsay, suggestion, That's actually the very nature of human conversation. It's as if to say we're engaged with one another and collectively navigating through what is and is not true. For example, you're at coffee with a friend. You're asking a question about a relationship. I don't know what to do. And your friend says, well, have you considered breaking up? And you say, that's good advice is what they just said, truth. Better yet, did they just speak a promise? No, they made a suggestion, amen? How many of you have been living your life on the suggestions of friends? How many of you have friends who mean well or are very wise or have at least been to three Gary V conferences (laughs) and are at least passionate enough to fire you up? And when they say a thing, you're like, that's good. And then you move on it. Show it. No, don't show me your hands. How many of y'all been living like that? And the nature of humans is to take suggestion and run with it. That's why when we understand the power of God, it's a little bit confusing because we might think that God is also a suggestion maker. And I want to break this off your life. He does not make suggestion. He does not engage in gossip. He doesn't say things like, I wonder if. He says truth and promise. So when God says you have to break up, you have to break up. I don't know what else I can't, there's no way around. That's it. He's not suggesting, have you considered a break, Ross and Rachel? He's not suggesting 
that maybe you should think differently. By God's very nature, every word that comes from him is a promise, true, end of sentence. You good on that? Which means that when you are convicted in your heart, when you hear the still small voice of God that says, no, no, not that. When you know you're doing the wrong thing, that's not the Holy Spirit going like, hey, have you considered not doing that? No, that's God saying, stop. That's not who I made you to be. No, 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 seriously, stop right now. Run from this, flee from this temptation. I've already made a way out. Do this now. Amen. I think it's important that we get that. You have to hit it. You can't miss it. Now, here's the deal. You say, well, if every word is a promise, then um, what happens about all the things that have been promised to me, my God, that haven't come true yet? I was told I would be healed, and I'm still not healed. I was told my wife was going to come home. You promised me that I would be set free from addiction, and I'm still struggling. What about those? Well, those are really a question not about whether or not God is right, but whether the promise is for right now. You with me? You ever heard it said that God is slow? Have you ever heard that? Because he, he is, can, can we talk about this for a second? God is slow. Or I'm impatient. Amen? But I still believe God is slow. No, that's not true. We oftentimes think that God is missing his mark, but I want you to understand that God is the one who set the mark. So when he speaks a promise, it will come to pass when he wants it to come to pass. Not one second earlier and not one second later. You do not get to dictate the promise. Why? Because a man-made contract once agreed upon cannot be ratified or annulled or changed after the fact. And so when God makes a promise, that's the promise. Your job is to believe the promise, not negotiate, not consider, not weigh the options, not wonder if he's going to do it on your timeline, but just say yes. That's why for Abraham, he was counted as righteous, not when he did it, but when he believed it. God said, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars. And in small group, we talked about this. The next sentence says that God counted Abraham righteous. Why? Because between sentence one and sentence two, Abraham had a gazillion kids? No. Because he had one kid? No. Because God said, I'll make your descendants as numerous as the stars. And Abraham said, okay. (laughs) And God said, righteous. Ooh, if you can get that into your belly. See, you think righteousness comes from the okay and the walking it out. Don't you? Don't you? You think it's when you agree and prove it. But God says righteous is when you agree. And you can't change God's mind. So he makes a promise and he says, just trust me. And your job is to trust. You with me? Oh, I'm preaching. I'm sweating. Whew. Let me talk to you about a couple promises made throughout the text to men just like us. 
who in the text were called to and accomplished great things for the Lord, who were integral to the gospel message from the creation of the world until this very moment, men who are just like us, not only because they had a relationship with God, but because they're our family as well, but who did these things and weren't counted as righteous because they did them, but were counted as righteous because they believed the God who made the promise. So here's a couple promises for you. You're taking notes, get ready. There is the Adamic promise or covenant. This is a unique covenant promise made by God to Adam. And in Genesis 1 and 26, God makes a promise to Adam about dominion. He says, I will give you dominion over all things. Now, Adam is uh, before this all by himself and naked in a garden. And a God that he converses with every day but cannot see says, I'm going to make you the boss over everything. Are you with me? Using your imagination? I'll do it again. He's in a garden, naked, all by himself, talking to the clouds. And the clouds say, you're the new leader. And Adam says, ready? Okay. He says, I'm going to give you dominion over all of the things in this world. You will have authority and all things will belong to you. That's the promise to Adam. And Adam is loved by God, created by God, uniquely picked by God to be the first Adam, the firstborn son. And then he messes it up. In Genesis 2, there's another promise that comes to Adam. Verses 16 through 17 talk about the consequences of Adam's action. He says, God says to him, and now there will be death. That too, ready, is a promise. See, you need to understand the nature and holiness of our great God. He's a speaker of truth and a maker of promises. And some of those promises might excite you, but some of those promises are to warn you, to remind you how sovereign he is. Now, I just want to pause for a second. Show of hands, I'm not going to embarrass you, but show of hands, how many of you are brand new to Beacon? This is like your first one or two, three weeks here. Okay, look how many new faces we have. I just want to do you a service real quick. That's our kids' ministry. <laughs> That's what heaven will sound like. Come on, somebody. If you're here and you're like, it's awfully loud. Yes, it is. Welcome to Beacon. Moving on. Anyway, God makes a promise to Adam and he says, I'm going to give you dominion. And then Adam makes a mistake and he says, and now you'll get death. Because some promises should excite you and some, sh some should warn you. Why? Because God sets the standards. And so when God says a thing, it becomes the truth. And God is not your genie. Amen. He is not here to make promises to make you feel better about your life. He is here to make promises so that you will have eternal life. Hear me. You want love? Great. It has to be love according to God's standards or it's not love, period. Y'all ready for this? I don't know if you're ready for me. You want happiness? It has to be on his terms. Otherwise, it's fleeting and will take you out. You want goodness? You want success? You want provision? You better be asking for more of God. And those are the outcries, not saying, God, make me rich. I heard about your riches and glory in Christ Jesus, and I want those. And he says, you better want Jesus first. God makes the promises. He sets the standards. 
some will excite you, but some will keep you from dying in your sin. So he says, Adam, I'll give you dominion. Oh, you messed up, you'll get death. But again, he makes another promise to Adam in chapter three. He says, you won't die immediately, but the curse of sin will bring death to everyone who comes from you. And while you're here, because I'm still the God who keeps my word, you'll still have dominion. You ready for this? You will still have dominion. But chapter three says your dominion will be birthed out of drudgery. It says you will toil when you till the soil. And here's the wonderful nature about God. Each promise is still true. Adam has dominion, sins and experiences death, and still toils in drudgery, and yet he still has dominion. And his dominion does not negate his death, and his death doesn't negate his dominion. When God speaks a thing, it's true, period. Even if you're like Adam and desperately trying to make it break. Because God doesn't break his promises. So guess what you can't do either? You can't break his promises. He says, I love you. And you say, no. And he says, I seriously don't care. I still love you. And he says, you're redeemed. And you said, I don't feel it. He says, it doesn't really matter to me how you feel. You're still mine. And you said, but I keep messing up. And he says, but see, you only see today and I see tomorrow. And tomorrow I'm be working inside of you and that thing that you love right now that you can't escape, I'm gonna take it off of your life. It's gonna take a little time, but I made a promise that said you were mine forever. And so stop freaking out about the moment right now. Start trusting me for the moments to come. You can't break his promises because you didn't make his promises. Y'all with me today? I'm preaching in here. Whoop, my God. The Adamic promises. Now let's talk about another one. There's another promise that comes to Noah called the Noahic promise. You probably know these. It's from Genesis 9 and 8. The first part of this promise is that after he floods the world and they land, God puts his bow in the sky. You know this. Ready? (laughs) The rainbow belongs to God. See, you you don't know where I'm preaching right now. You don't know what I'm shooting at right now. The rainbow is God's. It does not symbolize pride. The rainbow is a promise made by God that said, I will never destroy you. Ready? No matter how sinful you are. And so when the world takes the rainbow and is prideful for its sin, God still sees the rainbow as his promise and says, despite your sin, I will not take you. I don't know if y'all are with me just yet. The rainbow belongs to God. It's his promise to say, I'm good no matter how bad you are. I'm always good no matter how much you run over me. I will always love you no matter how much your pride takes you out. And when you flaunt your sin in front of you, I will still hold you in my arms. The rainbow is a promise to God that he's always for us. Amen. Amen. He says, this promise, this bow in the sky will remind you, I will never bring destruction on the earth no matter how bad it gets. And then he renews a promise. Genesis 9, 8 through 17. He says, uh, 
Not only will there be no destruction, but Noah, do you remember the promise of dominion? I'm gonna re-promise it to you. He says, I made this promise to Adam that he would have dominion over all things, that all things would be given into his hand, that he should be fruitful and multiply and take all things on this earth under subjugation. And he struggled and he brought death into the world and I made that promise too. And he struggled and it was through drudgery that he still had dominion and I made that promise too. But I've also put a judgment on this world and I promise you that I won't judge it again to the extent that I just did. And now I'm gonna re-promise that you and everyone that comes from you, Noah, will have the same dominion. I do not change my mind even when you do. Now you may not understand that, but to Noah, that would have been a game changer. To have been Noah, to trust God for an impossible thing, to build an ark in the face of ridicule, to watch everything he loved be destroyed, to crash land. And well, you want to talk about some trauma-informed conversation between God and Noah? He was like, yo, for real, what are we doing? I'm freaking out, God. And God was like, I'm not going to do that ever again, I promise you. Now look around you. Okay. God says, and now I've picked you and all of this is yours. Do you understand the gravitas that would have fallen onto Noah? That's why you keep reading in your Bible, Noah got drunk. You don't know your Bible yet, do you? Noah got drunk. He freaked out and was like, I can't handle this, bro. He got drunk and his sons found him and they were like, Oh, this is a little heavy, huh, Pop? And he was like, I'm freaking out. I'm the guy. I'm the new guy. I'm the only guy. Huh? <laughs> because God had made a promise of dominion. Again, because out of destruction comes dominion. Out of judgment comes jurisprudence. <laughs> out of God's wrath comes God's redemption. And a promise renewed that would have reminded Noah, I'm still good, still in control. And every time it rains, be reminded of that. The promises continue. I hope you don't, I'm out way out of time. I have no time left. We're in point one. Oops. We might just do the rest of this next week if that's okay with you. All right, you all right with that? Okay. Next promises, which is really the meat of the conversation, the Abrahamic promises. Genesis 12 tells us that God promises to Abraham to be a steward of what's coming next, right? He tells him, I'm going to call you to a place that you've never been, and you need to trust me. He says, from you and Sarah will come descendants specifically one who will change everything. And again, we've talked about this. He wasn't saying, so let's see what you do with the promise. He was just saying, do you trust me? And if you read the text, we've done it a couple of times. Abraham looked at his old wife and looked at his old self. And he said, okay. That's actually what we're talking about today. Is when God speaks a thing to you and you look at your raggedy old self and you're like, 
me. And he says, yeah, you. And you say, don't, not me. And he says, Jason, you. He says, I pitch you. And you say, but look at all the ways I'm disqualified. And he said, that's actually my favorite part because there really is no way you can do this on your own. Am I right? And you're like, oh no, for sure, there's no way. And he's like, cool, can I do it? And you say, yes. And he says, do you trust me? And Cody, you say, okay. Are y'all with me? This is the conversation between God and you. It's been happening since he made the first one of you. God has always been saying, do you trust me? Are you with me? Your job is not to complete the task. Your God is to believe the God who made the task. And so Genesis 12, he makes a promise of stewardship. He says, from you will come the line. You need to trust me. And then in Genesis 15, he says, Come from in, coming from you will not only be the line, and I want you to be a good stewardship, steward of it, but coming from you will be the line for salvation. Out of you, from your loins, and this one offspring, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And you need to understand that's a different promise than the promise that says, out of you I'll make a great nation. But good biblical scholarship will tell you that in the first promise, when God is taught, I'm just going to teach for a minute because we're almost out of time. This is bonus, okay? Good biblical scholarship will tell you that the conversation between God and Abraham in Genesis 12 is actually God enticing Abraham. You don't believe this. Watch this. God's talking to Abraham and he says, go to a place I'll tell you about later. From you, I will bring forth a mighty nation. From you, I will bring forth much wealth. In you, I will build dominion and rulership. I will make, ready, your name great. That's what he says to Abraham. And you think Abraham's the father of the faith. That's why we sing, Father Abraham had many sons. You know what? And many sons had Father Abraham. You know this? <laughs> half our church is all the way in. The other half is like, is this the Brady Bunch? <laughs> and then one day when the lady met this fella. No, that's not the same. <laughs> You think that Abraham is the father of the faith. And so in this conversation in Genesis 12, when God is speaking, he says, do this impossible thing. But if you read the text, he says, do this impossible thing. And I will give you a son. Many sons. Do this impossible thing. And I will build your wealth. Much wealth. Do this impossible thing. And I will make you a ruler over many do you see the difference? This is actually not God saying, just trust me. Mm, my goodness gracious, you didn't know this. This is God saying, trust me and watch me blow your mind. In fact, he's not even saying, just trust me blindly. He's saying, trust me and watch all the markers that I bring forth. Children, cattle, servants, land, all of these things that you've been dreaming of. Trust me to do an impossible thing. And then I will make an impossible thing come forth through you. That's good biblical scholarship. He's actually negotiating with Abraham, even though Abraham has no chips on the table. Oh, that'll preach. You ready? God is actively negotiating with you right now. 
He's actually playing with you, talking with you, having a conversation with you, and negotiating with you over your life because he loves you. Even though you have no chips, you are already cashed out in the game of poker with God. Amen? You folded 15 hands ago. You're out. And he's like, you want to come back? And you're like, I only have buttons. He's like, buttons count. Come on. Let's do it. And you're like, I only have, you, you show your cards, right? And you're like, I have broke, busted, and disgusted. And he's like, ooh, I'll see you're broke, busted, and disgusted, and I'll raise you redeemed, loved, and in control. I'll, 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 I'll take all of the brokenness that you have, and, and I'll lay all my cards on. You know what we should do? In fact, he says, if we're really playing poker, let me give you my cards. You give me your cards. Oh, my gosh, I lost. You won. Let's play this game again. That's the conversation. He's always in it with you for you. Y'all with me? I have four minutes. And I'm having fun. We have to end it. Let's do it like this. We've ended with Abraham. We pick up next week with Mosaic. We'll talk about the Davidic. Band, y'all can come up. We're going to talk about the new covenant. We're going to talk about how the promises that he makes are impossible for you to achieve. So he makes a way for you to achieve. Then we're going to talk about the way God fulfills promise. And this might take us forever. Who knows? It's a big chunk of text though. So I, I blame it on God. Amen. I'll leave you with this and then we're going to worship. Ready? He makes promises to you because he loves you. You see, you don't make promises to anybody you don't love. Am I right? You didn't stop at the gas station this morning and tell the clerk, promise, I'm coming back tomorrow at the same time. Why? It's not the relationship that you have. God makes promises with those whom he loves. And if Abraham is any example, he entices those whom he loves to trust him in the promises. He says, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to set you free. I'm going to heal you. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to pull you out of that life. And you say, I don't, I don't, I don't think I can do it. He says, good news, you can't. I can. And I'm going to make it super easy. I'm going to put you in church with a bunch of people who love you like crazy. I'm going to send you a couple more friends who are godly, who stand for righteousness. I'm going to order your steps and remove a few of the people who don't agree with this promise because I love you. In fact, the steps of a righteous man are ordered by God and he delights in his path. He says, I make the promise. I make the way, I make it easy, put my yoke upon you, watch as I fulfill the promise. Would you stand to your feet all over the room? Let's worship for just a minute. Beacon, we love you. Thanks for joining Be The Light Podcast with lead pastor C.B. Barthlow. Visit our website at denverbeacon.org. To download our Beacon app, text Beacon to 97000. Once again, text Beacon to 97000. 
whatever you do, please remember to be the light. Let's go. 